Wallace to his left, and he's on his way. 10, 9, 5, 3, cut down! Wonderful try! We have a mole, Jim. Digs like a demented mole there. He just bursts through the defence. Just watch this. Spillane gathers beautifully. In go the Irish forwards. This is Lennon. Bursting into the 22. Back to Bradley. Back to Kiernan. The drop of goal is over. Michael Kiernan has done it. Good evening and welcome to the Molecast. Good evening. Good evening. Andy Farrell picked a squad with one message in mind, and that message is win today, win tomorrow. And not as some crank on Twitter says, pick up an easy grand slam. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking moron. I won't I won't name her my crank, although I did I did I did go looking for crank comments this morning. It's one of my one of my hobbies. Um uh, my, I think the main surprise for me with this squad was how small it is. Uh, it's 34 or 33, but he picked 38 the last time around. So I, I put up a little, uh, my guess of what he would do. Mm-hmm. And the omissions um, were, I guess, the extra people. Yeah. And I didn't have Tim in here. There's a couple of little I didn't, but largely it was predictable. Um, there's nothing like... There's nothing to say that more players won't feature, but the first game of this Six Nations, and that's how everyone should be looking at it, and not just like a news item like, oh, uncapped player gets in, my, my favourite player gets in, my team's player gets in, who I feel is bitterly overlooked. The first game of this tournament is away in Marseille against a really angry and disappointed French team. Yeah. With, like, fueled by the best league in world rugby. That is the long and the short of it. Win that is a huge chance of winning the championship. Lose that, you're playing for second place with the whole, whole thing. Agreed. Incontrovertible. That's my point. <laughs> so, uh, like, are, are we in any way surprised that Farrell no. has done this? No. Uh, the team got together for their summer training sessions before the World Cup on June the 18th. They had a break in the middle, but essentially, so they went from June the 18th, then they played games in August and then played in the World Cup in September and October. So they had four months together, which is the longest time that Farrell has ever had uh, a group together as head coach. And it makes a huge amount of sense, not just to me, to anybody sensible, to build on that and try and maintain... uh, or maybe rebuild, like there's one bad step in about 17 months of rugby. I want to say one bad step, one misstep, and that's losing the quarterfinal to New Zealand. So just, like, that's only one backward step after, say, 16 forward steps, you know, win after win after win. So you just try and keep that momentum going. Um, you have, like, Farrell has... He has three squads to pick every year. The squad for the Six Nations, the squad for the Summer Tour, and the squad for the Home Series in Autumn. So those two other squads, neither of which has a proper trophy, they all have, you know, ornaments you can 
be given at the end of them. But like you have one big, really important tournament per year, and then you have two others. So you use those two other squads to, well, people say experiment, but to introduce players to test rugby, and then you try and win the big tournament. Like I, I think I sort of realized or came to accept that thinking like 15 years ago. And that, that is how it is in Ireland, and rightly so. Uh, so I'm always not surprised so much as fucking irritated by people who just want to change the team every game. They want to change like half the team every game that we play. Like the, import, the, the, the point of international rugby is to win. It's to win. Win all your games. Win today, win tomorrow. Win today, win tomorrow. And and that's what you try and give yourself. Like you you obviously at some stage you see that a player is going downhill. And you then you look at replacing him. And uh, hopefully you don't have to bring in a guy absolutely cold. But like it's and also the other thing is, it's clearly, selection is clearly an art and not a science. And you can say that, well, he did this in this case, why didn't he do the same in another case? And you're going, because fucking players are, are literally, they have different DNA, they're different. Every circumstance is different. And he has to make judgment calls. If there was a formula you could run, someone would someone would have like started selling that formula for a fortune. There's not a formula. It's loads of judgment calls. So with this... He's had some decisions made for him. Sexton is retired. Earls is retired. Hansen is injured. Sexton is like, that's the biggest thing. Hansen is a really big loss considering how excellently he's played for him, how many man of the match awards he's won. And, and you know, he's been, like, do, those, are, those are really significant changes for me. Uh, and the people he has brought in to replace them, with the possible exception of Harry Byrne, were all predictable and correct. Like Nash, uh, Larmer, Stockdale. Stockdale was very close to going to the World Cup. Nash has played really well. And then Larmer's found form again and is, is the same age as Nash and has 30 caps. Farrell has picked him before. Uh, so they're all predictable. Uh, Frawley's very predictable to be picked. Farrell really likes him. Uh, Harry, Harry less so, but uh, I think he he felt he he definitely needed a third out half. So, um, I've run out of talking points. Apart from one thing, I was pretty confident that Nick Timoney would get in. Uh, I think he's played really, really well. He's been in. Farrell squads before. Like Tim, when I say Timney's played really well, like he's Timney has scored seven tries in either Interpros or European games in half a season. Like they're all the toughest games that Ulster play, and he's performed really, really well in all of them. And Ulster, you know, they're not doing great, but they're a winning team, like in that they have a winning record, won more matches than they've lost. And they're one of only two of only two of the Irish teams can claim that at the moment. 
I was surprised he didn't pick Keane Pendergast because he loves him. Um, so, but he, he, picked his, he picked his younger brother though, uh, but not in the squad mm. uh, in the as a training panelist. Um, and I, I like thirty four is is a small squad, so it's it's a very exclusive type. Of, it's a it's an ex, it's it's an exclusive selection. It like it, it it's hard to get into the Irish team mm-hmm. is is the message that I get from it. Um, I'm sort of excited by the players he picked as a training panelist as well. Like, I mean, tight head prop is always an issue for Ireland. So to see Oli Jaeger in there, like, to, it doesn't make him the solution or anything like that. But I mean, it's another option. Um, and then Tom Hearn is very exciting. Sam Prendergast is very exciting. It's it the Keen Healy's. <laughs> it's exciting for Keen Healy, I think as well. Like, I mean, that that's kind of. Um, hope he hope oh, like he's he's. Crank it up. He's getting past up the there. Caps. He's getting up there. Like he could be Ireland's most capped player yep. by the end of his career. You know, so each match for Keane is is one step closer to his retirement or to being the most capped player for Ireland. And like it's it's both at the same time. Yeah. Um he's 36 and he's it's kind of incredible, you know. Like he's he and he like he obviously missed the World Cup. He missed another long string after he got injured for mm. the Lions back in the 2013, 1897 tour when he got <laughs> the ball by a line, I think it was, or eaten by a shark or something like that. Um, but I think as well, like look, Harry Byrne, Frawley, Frawley, Frawley's an obvious man at 22, but there's there's In in the in the aftermath of Sexton at Leinster, we were talking about this off, and I was saying like it reminds me of Succession. It reminds yeah. me of you know you've got this Titan, and you've got all these uh, would be heirs, all of whom have their good points, none of whom are the complete package, and. Like, really, they should just have Johnny in the crowd saying, fuck off. <laughs> fuck off. As a kind of a meme. Um, <laughs> and maybe and maybe even threatening to come back. <laughs> Thought I'd gone away. Um, and one of the, the shibboleths, I think we don't use, I mean, how many weeks? Every third week you use shibboleth? Yeah. One of the truisms, which isn't a truism, that has been presented is that, oh, you know, he just needs more minutes. And the more you look at it, you go, I don't think more minutes is going to fucking do it for any of these fucking guys. <laughs> like, they need to pull the jersey off. They need to dig up Johnny and pull the jersey off his back. Like, I mean, so where I'm going with that isn't to get on to the Leinster thing, although, you know, maybe we segue into that. But it's just that idea that, like, playing for Ireland is exclusive. Like, it's not just a matter of if you get picked for the squad, then it's going to make you a better player. Like, look... Like I said, Harry Byrne, I don't think Harry Byrne and Frawley are the answer for Leinster at the moment. Like I think Sam Prendergast is the answer for Leinster after seeing him play for another 38 minutes. Like He was certainly better than Frawley. And the two of them were better than Harry Byrne like at the moment. Uh, and I'm, like, I was a big Harry fan, but like you just look at the evidence in front of you. So I think the two lads are quite lucky. I've said that just to re-emphasize and say it a third time. Frawley. Like, you sort of go, but like... Frawley and Harry. Frawley and Harry. Yeah. But then you go, like, there isn't... Like, Crowley is so far ahead of them. Um, and Crowley didn't get in the pitch in the quarterfinal, and he's so far ahead of the next two guys. Uh, I don't think there's any position where there's that big a gap. Oh, no. Loosehead. Loosehead. 
you know, despite how much you're eulogizing Keane. Um, but I do think it's it's just that realization that like it's not easy. Just getting getting picked for the squad so grand. You know, I pick 38 players and I pick four of the players that you like. Like fucking so what? Like it? Do you feel better about yourself? Like yeah. it, it doesn't make them better. Getting the minutes on its own, like you need to get the minutes. You will to get sort better. Of prove that you can do it. You will get better by getting the minutes, but like it isn't going to make a quantum leap for you. No, and I just think that you can't. You can't say it on its own and just go, oh, that'll do it. Correct. It's not definitively, the more people play, like, you automatically will get better. No, but it is, on the other side of things, it's a job. So the more the more you do it, like, you should get better. You know, you yes, get more true. experienced. Uh, but you'll also get found out more. <laughs> also, exactly. You find out, people start giving you more responsibility and you go, oh, fuck. Um... They start going, you've got, you've got this. And he says, why didn't you have this? And you're like, well, well, there's 50,000 people watching you. <laughs> Live. Like, there's loads more on telly watching you. So why not? And you're just like, well, uh, the thing is... Yeah, uh, like, it's maybe two people watching me at my job, you know? Um, so the one thing... one No, there's loads of stuff, things to talk about at out half. Uh, one of the things that I've thought a good few times is, like, Sexton has played the last... Sexton has played the last three World Cups, like the three World Cup tournaments, and in the last two World Cup cycles, as a he's in his thirties in the last three World Cups he's played, and he's played the entire last two World Cup cycles, like eight years in his thirties, and we've always, you know, been protecting him. He's incredibly important because of how what a dominant player he was and what a tactical genius. And then as he got older, it's because like. Jesus, like it takes you so much longer to recover from injuries in your mid thirties and then late thirties than it does in your early twenties and mid twenties. So you always have to get like there was always a bigger game and you have to get sexing off the pitch, you know, because the bigger game is the next game. Make sure he's available for the next game. Until it got to New Zealand, you're going, this is like the biggest game he's ever gonna play. <laughs> we leave him on the pitch for 80 minutes. <laughs> People lost their shit, <laughs> you know. But my point in that is like there's no, there is hardly any reason now why Crowley can't play 80 minutes in games. So the number 22 jersey, in my opinion, it gets freed up. You certainly need a goal kicker, a replacement goal kicker in the in the match day squad. But you can, that's why I wasn't at all surprised if Frawley is in there. Because Frawley is a guy who can come on and play 10, but is probably a better 12. Has played 15 this season, played 13 last season. So, and he has a huge kick and boot, pretty big and strong. So you can go, well, our 22 is there for not just a straight out half replacement for like a 36, 37, 38 year old. Like our, our 10 will play 80 minutes. Like there's no reason why your 10 shouldn't play 80 minutes in, you know, you say. Seven one, baby. Yeah, well, then there's no reason he shouldn't play 80 minutes in, like, six out of eight games, seven out of eight games. If we went 7-1, we could pick so many blindsides. I guess the other thing... Do you know what I mean? Like, I know I know what you mean. Yeah. I think the other thing to comment on is the fact that O'Manley is captain, right? So, like, it's... Go back to the, oh, that's another great the cranky comments that you're going. You're going, O'Manley doesn't have a contract for next season. He's 34, Four. 33, Four. 34... 
Uh, so he's going to be 38 by the next World Cup. So bring him in line with our last World Cup winning captain. Our last, last World Cup captain. And, and a year older than our previous World Cup captain. <laughs> um, but again, like the message that I'm getting from that is it's hard to captain a team at international level. Yeah. Like e- even though Pete doesn't have the profile that you'd be looking for from, ideally you'd have somebody who's an automatic captain who's going to be available for the next four years and is going to be the captain at the next World Cup, right? Yeah. And you sort of go, well, is, is that not James Ryan? And you go, well, it is James Ryan, isn't it? And you go, but he hasn't picked James Ryan. Yeah. He's obviously decided that there's something about Ryan and something about Amani that if you compare the two of them as captain attributes, despite the obvious shortcomings that Amani has as captain, he's still better than Ryan. And it's again, it's just like, this shit is fucking hard to do. Yeah. Like, this is really demanding. And like the idea that people have that like, oh, you know, he's picked this squad despite me because he hasn't got my favorites in is like, no, 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 no. He's doing this as his job. He gets paid to do this, right? And if he does it badly, he'll get fired and he'll lose his job, right? Yeah. He's doing it to win today and win tomorrow. And it's it's hard. You have to acknowledge the difficulty of it. It isn't just to pick up the soft grand slams, you know? All those easy Grand Slams. <laughs> like, oh. The only easy Grand Slams are ones way as well. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry. I, uh, ju- just to go back, I don't think that that's a complete and utter justification. I just think this is obviously, to my mind, what's happening, what's been done. Like, it, it doesn't make it completely right, but you're there going, Farrell has more skin in the game in this than anybody else does. And this is his view of the world. I'm better off with a smaller squad. I'm better off with somebody who's got proven captaincy experience. And this is the way that we're going to approach the next match. This squad is picked for the first match, two matches of the next tournament, which is in a few weeks. No more, no less. So to play devil's advocate, um, the win today, win tomorrow thing, what's happening at Leinster at the moment? Jack Nienaber is saying, I wonder how I'll pronounce it next time. Jack Nienaber <laughs> is saying it'll take me 14 weeks, uh, which to to get the you know to get the defense working properly, which I think is kind of like a it's a really good thing to say because people yeah. are like that's really long. When did the 14 weeks start? Yeah, and but it's also 14 kinda, games. Can we do it? He also said 14 weeks. Well, he said 14 yeah. weeks. I, I don't know. Yeah, a bit of one, bit of the other. <laughs> yeah. Eh? So so as I see it now, part of the Leinster succession drama at out half is he's given everyone has to get picked. And get a go in this system. Well, he said as much, yeah. Yeah. Um, so he is currently doing essentially like almost like a preseason in the season. And he's training the team to play a different way. And that in some way mirrors the long-term view that South Africa, for example, took in that they would send in some of the rugby championship games, they'd send like a, almost like the shadow squad over to play in Argentina and nip, nip out with a win and then keep the strong guys ready to, to play the All Blacks at home or something like that. So, you know, they they used their resources and they gambled with them to some extent. They didn't win any of the rugby championships. There's three in between the last World Cups. They didn't win any of them. The All Blacks won all of them. And then when it comes to the crunch, they won the World Cup. Now, they won three games by a point and they lost to us. So you could say it's just a bunch of shit that happened rather than a message. But what my point is... With, with with Andy Farrell, right? He's got this. He has approached this very short term, and we think that's right to do. He's also not coaching us at the next Six Nations, yeah. which is fucking mental. Yeah, because it's not also great Goodman, for us, yeah. also like my cat. So like, I mean, who's going to be coaching the team? Uh, and then 
Razzy. <laughs> and the, the other thing is the first game of this game, this tournament is against France away. It's the toughest game. We haven't won the last two times we've been to France. We were close last time. We weren't close the time before that. As soon as you start losing games by picking the old players, people start saying, it's gone stale. Oh, yeah. And, like, do you think there's, you know, is 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 there, is there a sense that, you know, maybe he should be going, changing things up, keep, keeping keeping it fresh? Is there, is there there's value in that? Yeah, there is. There's there's value in it. Uh, but, and as, as I say, as I said before, it's like, it's not, it's not science. There's judgment to it. Like, Mark, I was, I was looking over, I, I think it was Russ Petty, or somebody posted a list of how many, players each nation had given uh, their debuts on in the Six Nations. And one of them was France. One of them was when uh, Livermont took over and just like, brought in loads and loads of players. And at the end of that, you know, they got to the 2011 World Cup final. Wow, Livermont's, Livermont's tactics really worked. And you go, but they fucking didn't. Like, <laughs> there was a huge, you know, they were going nowhere. And then the players took over. So it looks like, oh, there's there's a formula that's, you know, that is a, shows how this works. Like they got to their, that was a close final. Mm. Uh, so from his bringing in a load of new players at the right at the start of a World Cup cycle, they got to the end and they were really narrowly beaten in, in the, the World Cup at the end of that. But like, that fuck all to do with him bringing in new players. That had much more to do with Thierry Dusatour. You know, and um, the little uh, scrum half who played out half that day. No, Tranduk played most of it. Um, Morgan Parra playing Parra really well. Parra yeah. and Yashvili played that. So, um, and then, you know, uh, Fabian Galtier did something similar and didn't have any massive fuck-ups. Like, it had a relatively, uh, you know, straight-line graph going upwards all the way to, like, the quarter-final, in which his team got knocked out in the quarter-final at home. So... You know, what I'm saying is that both those guys did different things. Like four years is, is far too long to prepare a team for a tournament in rugby, in any sport. So it's, in my opinion, it's sort of irrelevant. You could go and pick a whole new team. It wouldn't make any difference for you. Well, make very little difference four years down the line. Um, it, I don't think Farrell is pushed by what a load of blowhards on the internet are saying. Every time we lose a Six Nations game, any t- like we haven't lost, we lost so few games over the last two years. Like we lost two in two seasons. One against the All Blacks and one against France. And you just, any time you lose, they go, with relative the exception of the All Blacks loss, where most people just thought, ah, we just lost on the day, that is what it is. But like I remember when Joe Schmidt, like Joe Schmidt had a winning record in every Six Nations he played, and any time we lost, Jesus, like the reaction was mental in my opinion. Any time we lost again, the reaction is mental. So you basically just don't want to lose games. It starts bringing in loads of sort of bullshit theories, which um, are like these compounding narratives, which you know link a point here and a point here and skip over all the points between, like like those you know like the memes when you see a guy with the strings going everywhere you go 
well, you missed out all of these pertinent information points here to get to this one up here, and this is your narrative, like, you know, that's not fucking realistic. So my feeling is, yeah, you just try and have a successful as team as possible. You bring in players into a successful team that have a greater chance of being successful. You don't, like Irish rugby is, firstly has four teams. Secondly, like only two of those teams are in the top half of their league at the moment. Like Munster and Connacht are, like, I think, ninth and tenth in the URC at the moment. Like Irish rugby in rude good health at international level. Leinster are very strong. The Munster won the the thing last year, the URC last year, and are like really underperforming this year. And if everything is down to injuries for Munster, and a lot of it is, well, you can't pick injured players. So like they're not available for selection. Um so my my feeling would be that we're sort of uh test level we're overperforming, given the um given that we don't, you know, like that we're not dominating the URC or we're not dominating in Europe. And I I think that if you start, like if we had this huge upsurge, if if all the provinces were fucking hockey and teams, if we had if we had four teams in the top six and everyone was playing lights out rugby, potentially you'd have more players pushing to get into a squad and you, you'd be... You'd be, you be you might be looking at like if we had more loose heads playing really well, you'd be go, going, well, we don't need to pick Healy or Lockman because we've better players than that. But we fucking don't have players performing better than either of those guys. Yeah, there there was a kind of a feeling after the World Cup, and certainly I had it that Irish rugby uh, was just very buoyant and would get a huge bounce, and that you know the twenties had you know had won two Grand Slams the last few tournaments, but also like during COVID and before that had had been very very strong. And that I was sort of thinking, oh, like, you know, it's it's only going to get better from here. And look, it's been a very short time since the World Cup, and I don't think it's got massively worse. But um, like the English teams have been much stronger in Europe than I thought they'd be. And you sort of think to yourself, I thought the English teams were shit. I thought I thought that was over. And you go, no, not not the case. Like the, but and then you see that some of the English team, like Leicester, got hockeyed by um, La by La Rochelle, and you go, wow, the French teams are really strong. And some of the really good under twenties that you think, oh, like you know, they'll definitely come through. So like, look at Ulster, and you sort of think, ah, oh, like Ulster aren't playing great. Um, so you'd think, well, there's there's obviously opportunities to get into that team, particularly for McCann and Postlethwaite, and look through injuries because because they happen. Hasn't really happened. Like McCann has had started off the season very well, but coming into selection for this squad, he just hasn't been Matt because he hasn't been able to play. Postlethwaite hasn't made the breakthrough. James Hume has been played, but James Hume isn't in the squad. And like, there's not massive calls to bring him into the squad. Like. He hasn't been playing that well that he's demanded selection. So again, it's it's just that idea that it's it's hard. Like it's it's yeah. demanding. And I'll just explain if you're it. not doing it at the level below, there's no way you're gonna do it at the level above. Now, I do I I've I've quite a soft spot for Mark Lee Evermore as a coach. Like I think I think his record is, is miles better than people I, I think he's sort of he's talked about very dismissively. By me. But he won a grand slam. The last Grand Slam, France won a Grand Slam in 2022. 
And with the playing riches that they have, you go, it's about bloody time. The last one was 2010 with Lee Evermont coach. And yeah. They drew a series in New Zealand and they should have won the World Cup final except that Joubert did them uh, playing against New Zealand in New Zealand, in Eden Park. So, like, they did, the players did revolt against him. But, like, I think the model that he had, he had success in a number of the different seasons that he had. Now, France is a different beast than Ireland. But, like, the... There is a kind of a merit in into the way he went about it. I don't think he could completely dismiss it. No, but I also fair. think that he's he was such a left field appointment that he's he's kind of one of the few kind of maverick appointments in um, in international rugby because mm. like it's it's a fairly close shop. Like the same guys tend to get the jobs. It tends to be very demanding. Jake what? <laughs> Yeah, well, pretty much. Like, you know, oh, Ross, Vern Jake Cotter's Ross. turning up. Vern, Eddie Jones. Voice, Eddie Jones, Wayne Smith, Joe Schmidt. Jack Brunel, coach two international Jack, sides. You know, Jack Brunel. Yeah, all, all the same guys. Yeah. Again, like, um, the guy who's just finished up with the Italians who did the Canadians before that. Oh. Kieran, Kieran Crowley. Yeah. yeah. He's a cool coach. Good coach. You know, so, I mean, Dave Rennie, I'd imagine, will be back at some stage. Yeah. So, um... Look, just to stick up for Lee everyone, I like. Yeah, him. no, fair enough. Like, the Pink Panther. <laughs> like to me, it's it was mostly like the guys who are playing the best and have done the most getting picked, and that's essentially like one of the one of the things I've been weighing up back and forth is like Hotnet getting. I mean, I noticed that even Drico mentioned he was the only person by name that Drico mentioned. That I saw anyway today. Uh, like, what's your what's your take on on Hodnett? I'd pick Hodnett. So I I had Hodnett in my um, my World Cup panel when I was picking the World Cup panel. I sort of figured that he wouldn't. I didn't think the Farrell was going to pick pretty much the same team all the time. I thought he'd kind of try to rest players a bit mm. more. I thought he'd want to bring basically two fifteens who could train against each other as much as possible. And just form-wise, I thought that Hadnut uh, had played really well. I also thought he gave them something different in the back row at open side. Well, sorry, specifically at open side where um, Josh isn't great as a turnover. Like, he's very competitive in the breakdown, but, like, he sort of does it by counter-rooking mm. rather than by jackling, whereas Hadnut's a very good jackal threat. And something that Des said, which I hadn't heard, but which makes a lot of sense, is that they... They like explosive players in Ireland. And Timoney's, like, Timoney's an incredible athlete. Now, I, I tend to prefer ballers than, than athletes. Mm. So I prefer Hodnett. But, see, again, it, it kind of goes back to, like, the things that we don't see uh, at, a, at at international level. And they just sort of go, you know, like, like Timoney has the capacity to play because he's really quick and he's really yeah. powerful. And Hodnett isn't. So, which I find, look, look, I'd still prefer to see Hodnett yeah. picked. But Hodnett's a better open side. Hodnett, Hodnett's a better, better open side. The, the guys, Murray and Gav Casey, had this really inter interesting interview with a guy who is a sports scientist who works with Lululemon, but he used to work, he started off with Leinster Rugby. Okay, and then is it? he went to the FA, and he might have been somewhere in between, and now he's at Lululemon. Yeah. Like, so he's, he's, he has a career. Doing yoga pants. Doing yoga pants. Um, 
but he's working in California. Like he's 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 properly over there, and it's kind of and it's interesting because you're there going, oh, like that looks like a really interesting course, but like you know what what do you do with it? Like you know where do you go? You go no, like, there's, there's there's this industry, and it's not just sports teams. It's mm. like athletic apparel and wearable devices and all this kind of. And he was saying that international rugby is like it's just really intense like the the contact is are just miles bigger like the the traumas are miles bigger it takes loads of calories uh, all the contact takes loads of calories uh when you get hit and you're sort of going, <laughs> like coins spinning area that's yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah pretty much like like sonic yeah um and uh, like just really obvious stuff when he said it that you go oh that's really interesting but like when they measure it the, the, these are the characteristics that you see. So you might like uh, which the BNI Cup they ran the most. So I suppose the BNI Cup is a bit more of a lab. You tend to pick players who are a bit more finesse players or a bit younger, mm. and probably the cup is run off early and late in the season when the Correct. ground is a yeah. bit better. But like they covered the most Ks, which is kind of interesting. You yeah. Say, oh wow! Like you know, of all the rugby that they covered, like this this level of the pro game was the most uh, aerobically demanding. Set. Yeah. Wasn't the most physically demanding. No. Most physically demanding is international rugby. Quite apart from just the pressure, like just just the contact element of it, the intensity of it is massive. So, I I think like that athletic capacity is something which you, you don't appreciate. You know, like, you have these sort of conversations, like, oh, you know, I wouldn't have Henderson. And you're there going, well, Henderson is a beast. He's 31, <laughs> yeah. and he's got 71 caps, right? So he's absolutely at the peak of his powers. If there was ever a time you're going to pick Ian Henderson, it's now, yeah. right? So you say, like, I don't want to have Henderson. It's just like, what, are you bored of him or something? Like, <laughs> That's is, that the, only, is that the only reason? Sorry, you've absolutely nailed it. Like, people... People. people. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm fucking talking about people. They get bored with players. They get bored. And that is as simple as that. It's like they would want to change, as I said before, change the team every week, change five or six players every week. And there's sort of reasons that they say are more like, I'm actually just bored with them. But even, like, say, Joe McCarthy, right? Joe McCarthy's getting... He's playing a huge amount of minutes for Leinster. And he's playing well... But to my mind, he's still number four by quite a distance of the four Irish locks. Like James Ryan and Ty Byrne are excellent. And Ian Henderson, like I just said, is at the absolute peak of his powers. And he was really exciting. Like he was more exciting than uh, McCarthy was, to, to, to my memory, mm. 10 years ago. Um, and like that's that's the level. It's just... It, so I know we said we are going to move away from this. No, but like that, that's, we were relying though. <laughs> but... That's that's the level. It's it's yeah. fucking demanding. My uh, feeling on Timoney and Hodnett and other players, including uh, Will Connors and uh, Scott Penny, are they're in a bunch. I think like Timoney is something else as an athlete. I saw him play at seven against New Zealand A for Ireland A. I thought he was f absolutely terrible at seven. I don't think he reads the game as well as any of the other three open sides. And I don't think he plays open side particularly well. But as a ball carrier and 
as an athlete, I think he's better than all of them. I've seen him play a good few. I, I said I, I thought he was going to get selected. And so I'll bring that up again. He's just playing so well at the moment. And the other guy is Ryan Baird, Baird who Baird. I was even going into the World Cup last year, I was kind of, I was a bit sceptical. I mean, I knew his athletic ability was excellent, but I thought he was more a second row because of that, like, qualms about his, just his reading of the game, whatever that means, like his ball playing, you know, whatever, whatever those phrases mean, wasn't convinced. But after, well, basically since the World Cup, I think he's been absolutely super. And I'd have loved to have seen him start at six uh, for Ireland. But he's not going to start at six because Peter Romani's the captain. So Pete's going to start at six. I'm going to Omani's going to start and at then six. And then tell you something about Omani, which I uh, f- sort of figured out the other day. Every time that Ireland have won a championship over the last decade, O'Mahony has started in at least four of the games. So 2014, 2015, uh, yeah, yeah. 2018, and 2023. Some of them he started all five, but in all four of those. He's, whereas in 16, he missed the entire championship because of the injury that he got in the Rugby World Cup 15. 17, he, that was the one he came in at the end for Heaslip. When yes. the back row was standard Heaslip. Uh, 18 played the whole thing. 19, he played the whole thing and we were bad. Uh, 20, Farrell's first year, he was in and out. It was Conan, sorry, it was Doris at six and Stander at eight. Uh, next, the year after that, I think it was Conan and Doris. And then it was O'Mahony for the last two. So he has a very strong... Oh, his track record. Very strong voodoo. His track record is excellent, obviously. But I I wasn't aware of that. Yeah, he's a very good... To my mind, he was really the other... That's why I think... Oh, sorry, this is the other thing we talk about, the fucking contract situation, which I think is fascinating. How can you have, like, the Irish captain not being on a central contract? So, So this is a really... So he only got his last contract was a one-year extension to his central. Now, he was in a very good position if he wanted to get a two-year deal to go, no, I want a two-year deal. And now he was never going to walk away from Ireland and you know and not play in the World Cup and go, well, I'll go and play in La Rochelle and not play for Ireland. So, But the situation in Trinidad, the, the Irish captain is, if not the most important, player in Ireland, certainly top two or three. And generally, he's the most important player. So it's perverse not to have him on a central contract. Uh, I can't I can't understand if Farrell is going to put him, make him captain, that new Sephora hasn't just gone, yeah, we'll just renew his central for another year. So maybe Peter Manny is looking for another two years. But I don't know, because even at the end of the Rugby World Cup, he was talking about sex and Earls retiring, and he wasn't sure what his plans were for the next, like if he was going to play on after his existing contract. Um, so that that strikes me, that strikes me as a very, yeah, a very odd situation for Nusa Four to find himself in. Like Nusa Four is one of the, the best things he's been doing has, has been like tying up people to contracts and not letting that drag out. So I, I don't know, like maybe he's just taking his eye off the, because he's leaving like, um, but this is a sticky situation. Then it comes out, I don't know if it was Nathan Johns or, or, or Jerry Thorny broke that. Munster haven't offered him a contract. I think, I think the reason Munster haven't offered a contract is because they're trying to find the money to offer him something that would be worth offering him rather than something 
that wouldn't be worth offering. Yeah, but listen, okay, well, that's a good point. But they signed Oli Jaeger to a four-year deal in November. Like, tight heads in the Esportif report, Esportif Rugby Intelligence report, which comes out every year at some stage, they have the three leagues and they have an arrow saying, at the head of the arrows, these are the most expensive players, okay? And in all three leagues, it's left four tackle. and five. <laughs> it is left tackle. It's the locks, the 10, and the tight head. That's, that's the same in all three leagues. So they count the locks as two players, four and five. They don't differentiate. And then in one of the leagues, it's a 15. I think in France, it's a 15. And then in England, the other one is eight. I can't remember what it is in the top or in our one, URC. But like tight head is the most expensive, one of the most top, top three or four expensive in every in every league. So paying for paying a contract out like for a four-year deal straight down for a player who's never played for you uh, and to get to get Jaeger in. You're, like my feeling would be like Munster could well have committed a million euro to that contract. 250k a year. It's not unrealistic for a tight head. So they did that in November. When Peter Armani is beginning to negotiate his, probably beginning to negotiate his next contract. And then what are they saying? Turn around and say, no, sorry, we have no money for you. Like, because like the next contract, contract nominally is your, they're paying in advance for what you're going to do for them. But the way that it's generally seen by players is like, you're paying me, my contract is for my next contract is for what I just did for you. Yeah, you know, very important distinction. So, so it's 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 a. I think it's a. I think it's sort of fascinating. Like does does Peter Matney want to play for two years? Is that what he's? Is he holding out for a two year deal? Which is not unusual. Like I remember before he was retiring, like Dev wanted a two year deal in Leinster. We're going well. We only want to give you a one-year deal, you know, and uh, and that happens. Like that happens a lot towards players at the end, because you know you get to like this. Like the drop-off point for a lot of players is thirty-four. Like I've looked at this, f- you know, 10, 12 years of that. A lot of players just f- go at thirty-four. Where your legs go? Yeah, and it's funny that it's not thirty-five; it's thirty-four. So. I, I think it's I think it's really interesting and I'm I think it's bizarre that you can have the captain of Ireland, a guy who's a hundred and one caps, and him not being offered like a central contract. And then not even being offered a fucking contract by his own club who was captain for a decade. I think it's I don't understand it. I'd, I would love well, to know. I'd, lo- there, I'd say there's fucking loads of stories no one, in the background. Well, no one understands why he like decided to jack in being captain of Munster as well. No. Just like a month into the season. Not after the World Cup. Not when, oh, I've come to a point. He's like, the season has started. Games have been played. Then he's like, I'm not the captain anymore. So there's so much, there's so much happening there. That's yeah. like, that's opaque. Um, oh, that's the word, yeah. Um, Obtuse. <laughs> <laughs> um, but you see the effect he had on the team when they came back against... They were just much better. 100%. Like, so much better. He brought his voodoo with him. Yeah. He's got a big fucking stock of it. He does. He have... grows it with the hydrangeas, I think. <laughs> <laughs> he, he does. Like, that's the one thing, more than anything else, like, people respond 
people. Players and people in the stands respond to Peter Armani and people watching on TV. You can't fake that. You can't fake what he has. You can't fake his voodoo. It's real, but it's completely unquantifiable. Because he can... Like, his, his game against Toulon, if you look down through it statistically, like, Munster, I think, only had seven line-outs in it, and they won six of them. So that's grand, but it's not like, oh, we won 18 out of 18 line-outs. He had the least tackles of any starter, carried for the least metres, I think, of any starting forward. Like, Niall Scannell made 20 tackles on his return to play and had a, you know, a really big game. John, everyone had a big game for Munster. But it was... It's unquestionably like the fucking voodoo that a man he brings. That he he like turns, he cures these lads who used to be just sloppy lean mix into proper concrete, you know? <laughs> but this is a big there's a very good article by Murray Kinsler on the forty two. I think it was published yesterday or today about the changing of the guard in Munster and how complicated the situation is because they have so many players at that that age, 34, 35. Yeah. And they're on their whatever contracts, and are they going to give Archer, Ryan, etc., another year, and so on? And it all, but it, it struck me that it seemed to stem back to the fact that they have a much younger bunch of players taking over Crowley. Yeah, the uh, big gap in the middle. The big stems, gap in the middle. Yeah, yeah stems from what's years. missing, and this is this is something you've been talking about yeah. ages ago, and you were saying like you can see it happening; it's going to happen, and now it's happening. But like the fact that you're yeah. talking about it years ago. Um, no. Well, you it's just it's, it's just more relevant now yeah. but you, you could see it happening and you this can't is... resolve it though once it's happened no. so like all their starters that are born from like 1991 through to 96 like they've won started for 96 Shane Daly but the vast majority of the rest of them are guys who they've bought in you know um, like Lockman Klein Tygburn loads of those guys I'm only half picking through them and Nankaville, Frisch, there's a there's a load of those guys, Haley, all those guys were brought in because Munster Academy and the, the guys coach Munster didn't didn't bring any of those players. Maybe none of them are good enough, which I find very hard to believe. I don't think talent in a in a in a geographical area just doesn't exist for five years and then it does exist. I think they fucked it up. But all of those guys were were bought in and and, you know, when you're getting guys in from other places and you haven't produced them yourself, a lot of the time, like, those guys, some of those guys have done really well. Ty Burns done really well. Klein's done well. But, like, you've no homegrown strength to follow through. Like, the guys who are from Munster and that got capped are the two Scandal brothers and Jack O'Donoghue from that age group. And the most recent cap of those was 2019 for Niall Scannell. Like the two other lads were last capped in 2017. You know, and they have, I think, Jack is two, Rory is three, and Niall Scannell has 20. And the last was capped was like five years ago, four and a half years ago. So, yeah, it's, I didn't read Murray's article yet because basically I feel like I sort of fucking know it all because I'm a know it all. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, they, they do have that coming down the line of where they you... have it with Conor Murray as well, though. Like, oh, they have with those people. Zebo, Conor Murray, Kilcoyne, but, Peter Mahoney, Ryan well, Archer. Well, the most obvious guy they have it with in terms of they bought him in is Joey Carberry. Oh, well, Joey's gone. But, th- but that, that, like, he's... Yeah. So he's, 
Here's another guy who, I don't think Joey was ever on a central contract, but here's a guy who was sort of told, oh, you know, it'd be a really good idea, kick you under the table, you know, step on your toe just to make <laughs> yeah. you understand, like, this... I'm talking to you. And... Then Healy went last season. And look, I mean, I don't think they could do anything about that. Healy no. was offered international rugby. And Flannery went the season before because he had f- Healy and Crowley ahead Yeah. But again, I, I don't think, having seen Flannery play for Ulster, that was a massive loss. Yeah. But they could do it in this season. They could like. do them this season. But y- you sort of go, oh, that hasn't kind of worked out the way that I thought it would. And again, it goes back to that idea of the minutes aren't on their own aren't going to do it for you. Like, yeah. you, you have to earn it. Like, Crowley just came through and he's the man. And correct. And they backed the right horse. And they backed the right horse with like that Mike one. Mike Florio on but Pro the, Football Today I mean, or whatever it is. The thing that I've really found myself thinking about, the Joey situation is he's playing the wrong position. Not that he should be playing fullback. He should have been a scrum half. Oh. So we, we talked about this a few weeks ago and I've, I've become more convinced of it since saying it is that like it isn't just enough to have like a thick guy who's small who's got a quick pass playing scrum half you want a baller yeah should like, Mazer have been a scrum half Mazer should have been a second centre but Joey Carberry definitely should have been should Ireland have picked John Cooney for fucking the last five years <laughs> but you know but like at, been at, at some stage but like at, at, it, it is I do think it's a very important part because they go, go back to that idea of, you know, the guys running the academy. They fucked it up. They didn't bring through. Like, I was, and, and the, other, the other thing, so like, Witcherly. Don. Senior. Don Senior or Don Junior? Don Senior. Yeah. Right? He's capable of playing professional rugby. Most guys aren't capable of playing professional rugby. At least he rugby. says this every podcast. Yeah. But like, see, this is the thing. Somebody has to make the decision, right, you're doing this. Oh, can I go on to my next pony? And I, I just sort of, I do look at Joey and I think, fuck, it's a crying shame he wasn't asked to play scrum half because he'd have been brilliant. Let me tell you another thing now. The Irish under-20 squad has picked uh, Evan O'Connell as captain. Yes. Um, uh, there's three monster number eights in it. <laughs> Brian Gleeson, Sean and Dogwan. I think the other guy, Luke something. Luke Murphy might be, he's an under 19. And it just struck me uh, that like, it's a huge, it's a huge sort of, uh, I don't know what the exact word I'm looking for, but in Munster, everyone is a fucking number eight. Everyone, everyone gets put at number eight. So I was just thinking like, Jack O'Donoghue, Jack O'Sullivan. Kendall. Uh, Kendall and John Hodnett. Uh, Gleeson. O'Kiki, Gleeson. Ruan Quinn played number eight for a Crescent. Peter Mahoney played number eight at under 20s level. And now they have all three, all three number eights in the under 20s are Munster guys. So uh, Sean Adogbo is a fucking super rugby player. But he's sandwiched between Brian Gleeson, who's going to be Munster's number eight for as long as... Oh, Coombs, another number eight. For as long as he wants to be. Like Brian Gleeson's going to be Munster's number eight. He's an amazing player. And then you have another guy. So he's a two-year number eight. And he's got to have another two-year number eight below him. Jack O'Sullivan's another number eight from Keelan Darris' year. Um, but everyone is just a number eight in Munster. And then somebody pointed out to me in a forum like that the, the three of the guys in the front row from Leinster, so it's Usanov from Belvedere, 
Stephen Smith from Kilkenny and Andrew Sparrow from Mary's. They all played number eight junior cup and Yusinov was still playing in the back row at senior cup level. But now they're uh, respectively Yusinov, Loosehead, Stephen Smith, Hooker and Andrew Sparrow, Tighthead. You know, like it is an issue because like, I look at Jack O'Sullivan who's, you know, maybe, I think probably going to get cut by Munster. And if you recall when Darts was injured and he was playing number eight for the Irish... 20, he scored four tries in the Six Nations. He was, he was the super. best player. Yeah. You know, and he is 188, so 6'2 and 100 kilos. You know, not big enough to play number eight. And you look like a centre. You literally have centre's build and a centre's face. And why aren't you playing centre? And the issue is that everyone puts their best player at number eight and nobody fucking changes it. So <laughs> Munster, they just push them like left and right. They go, oh, now you're an open side. So are you, uh, you know, Jack O'Donoghue, you're now a blind side. And you, and until you run out of like back row positions to go and you're on, all of your best players, like what are they going to do with O'Kiki, like who played so well against Wasps and it's only got, or played his, you know, and you're going to cut him, aren't you? And like he was probably one of the two or three best players in Munster in his age grade. And he's just there going, oh, we can't do anything wrong. Because, like, he's the same. He's pretty much exactly the same size as Dan Sheehan. And you're going, like, and if Dan Sheehan, if Dan Sheehan had played at Munster, somebody would have put him at number eight. And kept him there. Yeah. And it's, uh, sorry, that's a sidebar. But it is it is one of those things, which I think when I look at Munster and they're going, because I think that the players that they're bringing into their academy are better players than they've brought into their academy in a decade, minimum a decade, probably longer. Between Ruan Quinn, Evan O'Connell, Edwin Adogbo, Brian Gleeson, uh, O'Connor, the fullback, uh, the cork hurler. Like, this, is, this is a really good crop they've brought in. And then you have Crowley, Casey, uh, Kendallin. You know, so they've, they've started bringing in good players. Basically starting with Coombs and Don Witcherly Sr. in like the 1997, born in 1997, played 2017. They've got that going again, so their academy is good again, which, which makes me think that like their academy was bad because all of a sudden you didn't just have like no good players in Munster for five years and then good players again. But they have this gap in the middle of their squad and it's very, it's a huge ask to get guys, like the oldest of whom are Coombs and Witcherly, to just like now wear the leaders. Mm. You know, so Munster will be very good again in the future because of the calibre of players that are in the academy now. Hearn, you know, not in the academy, but like he's another one of the very, very good monster players. Okay, I've got one last yeah. question before we wrap up. Sorry, no, didn't, I didn't make any coherent finishing point there. I just kept on talking. We didn't talk about the article that we all read around oh, Christmas. Donald Lennon. Donald Lennon's article about how, how, the, <laughs> how the sausage gets made in Irish rugby. Fascinating. Um, is that, that seems to be like the solution to the, Peter O'Mahony problem though is that they're like we actually have this fund which, Pony the Pony which we don't tell anyone about which yeah. is for Pair of national interest yeah it's for it's for making sure that things don't go awry and like a club can budget and plan for this much but we also have a little bit of a slush fund to the reptile yeah. fund to keep it yeah, it is a reptile yes. fund <laughs> to, to, to keep a keep drop a out <laughs> To keep a pony uh, in the stables, as it were. <laughs> Great point. I thought that article was the best article I've read on Irish rugby. Yeah, it was an article in the Irish Examiner by yeah. Donald Lennon. 
Before Christmas? Yeah, just around Christmas time anyway. Yeah, around, around the Snyman time of the year. Yeah. Um, brilliant article by a brilliant rugby man. God, he's ex- excelled at every part of rugby he's turned his hand into. Um, so that pony thing that you mentioned is a player of national interest, as you say, essentially, I wouldn't say a slush fund, you know, in that it wasn't used for buying flip-flops but that there is money available outside of central contracts for players of national interest. Uh, maybe Munster are playing, being like super, uh, just being incredibly good negotiators. <laughs> super going, cagey. He's been like, fucking, someone's going to have to pay for him. Yeah. It ain't going to be us. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you made him your fucking captain. Well, he's not our captain. You pay for him. Yeah. Which is, which I'd admire. Like, that's great negotiating. Mm. Um, but, I, I still think, like, Jesus, like, just give him a fucking national contract. Yeah. Uh, you've just made him the captain, like. So I, I think in, in, this, in this case, like, unless, like, Andy Farrell just did, it, like, a Louis Reese Samet and didn't tell him before he was, he was going to make him captain until half an hour before the press conference. <laughs> That's the thing that I found interesting was that as, as closely aligned as they are, because look, look a man he's 34 and he like he doesn't play that much nope. for for Munster and you're going through like where the the strength is a Munster and you go number it's eight. all <laughs> it's all in their back row it's yeah. it's all the legions of number 8s that have been moved sideways and like somebody has to play number 8 or into the second row with yeah. Coombs and you go Jesus like you know if if like how much do we need to spend on this 34 year old who isn't going to play that much for us now when he does play in the big matches we're much better yeah so there is that argument. Um, so I, I can kind of see why Roundtree would go, like, I'm well served in this position. I do need to spend my money on a tight head. Yeah. Because, you know, Archer and Ryan are old. I, like, I, I need someone in yeah. there. Um, whereas Farrell is going, i got to win today, win tomorrow. Pete's our best captain, by, our a best mile, captain by a mile. Makes yeah. the team play better. I want him in the squad. <laughs> they always win when he's playing. And... You've, you know, and and New Sephora's a lame duck. Like he's on the way out. So Farrell's just like, well, screw you, man. Like I've I have a four year deal. You're on the way out. I don't need to listen to this. And wow, yeah, I'm I'm gonna pick it this way. Oh, the drama! Like it's it's you'd, you'd so love to know making up tonight. It's crazy. Oh, you'd I love to know. I did promise more theories. Well, I would say hypothesizing rather than making up. All of these are based. All of these are based in like there's limited information available. What we're saying is based on our reasonable, reasonable knowledge facts, of the union. Facts. But the Cappuccino Cowboys and frothy form at the moment. Their second try. I I just want to say I I never I'm not old enough uh, to have seen him play, but JPR Williams was and is one of the greatest legends ever to play rugby. Like I mean the fact the fact that he was known by his initials. Um, and I did go looking for this story on online, and I must have read it in a book. But th- there's a story about uh, Barry John, and he's in Stagcolom, uh, which is where the 1924 Olympics is the Chariot of Fire, Chariots of Fire Olympics in 1970, and Wales are going for the Grand Slam. And Barry John is absolutely shitting himself because you can hear the crowd above him. Like this, this stadium is is 50 years old; it's wooden. You know, it's it's cramped dressing rooms, and he's looking around, and he it, it's it's sort of to the effect, and he goes, "Oh, there's Gareth, you know, Gareth will keep me out of trouble." 
throw those long passes and, you know, give me a bit of space. And he goes, there's Gerald. He goes, Gerald, he'll sidestep people in a phone box. They'll never catch him. He's, he's one of the, the most nimble players. There's Big Mervyn. We'll always win line-up ball with Big Mervyn stepping up his, you know, that telescope of an arm. And he goes, he looks over and he goes, and there's that nutcase, JPR. <laughs> Thank God he's on our team. And... And he won junior Wimbledon. Yeah. yeah. And he was an orthopedic surgeon. Yeah, and, and he played flanker for he, Wales he flanker in 78. And you just think, all that was great with the game was with JPR Williams. Yeah. So I don't know him. Not Welch. I never saw him play. No. But the man was an absolute legend. We had so two books. Rest in peace and God bless. Growing up, the Heather Lions won and the Victorious Lions. So when I say the growing up, I mean like when we were like seven dad's books and uh like i was as familiar with those guys from like the 71 and 74 lines as i was with brendan mullen and trevor england and uh paul dean and and those guys from the irish 85 team which was on our year of pride video so like the photographs of them, i remember just thinking like he looked like a like a like a rock rock star because you know he did mm. yeah um and and everyone who talked about him but other players, uh, the journalists, they all just thought, like, this guy's great. This guy's great to have in the team. He's just a brilliant guy to have in the team. You got the feeling that everyone really liked him for who he was and that he was just this huge, big, generous personality who was, in contrast, like, like Barry John retired from Ruby because the Ruby got, like, the adulation got sort of too big for him. And Phil Bennett was a very nice, very nice man, but quite shy. Yeah, and got very homesick when yeah. he was on tour. Yeah. Whereas JPR is just this fucking big monster personality. It's <laughs> just a huge radiator, you know, just giving out energy everywhere. So, uh, and he Because JPR used to look after the rest of the players as a medical student when they went on tour. It was like, oh, you know, JPR would have to. Like, they mightn't have had prop, they, they, they probably had a doctor, but like, JPR was the best doctor they had <laughs> yeah. in the squad. He was also the best drinker, or one of them by yeah. it. Like, that after they won the second tests, uh, they went on safari for like a week and just went drinking for a week. And there was somebody, I think it was a Scottish guy, uh, played in the backs, like, played outside three, went drinking with JPR, and like, didn't play again on tour. <laughs> <laughs> While he deflected that one. Davis is there. Mervyn Davis to McLaughlin. McLaughlin. Gareth Edwards waiting for this one. Duckham flinging it out. John Williams, the fullback. Oh, he turned well. And he did it. John Williams, number 15 there. John Courageous Williams hit that one straight and through.